Hello and welcome one more time to A Hundred Steps to Drag, where I, Natasha Hundreds, sit down with different drag personas, artists, and ask them, how did we become who we are? My guest today is a superstar in New York City. She's a live singer. She's been featured in movies. Oh my goodness. So excited to have Gina Tonic. Hi, how's it going, Natasha? Pretty good. It's a Friday. I'm excited. It's early in the morning, so I'm highly caffeinated. I know. <laughs> How are I, you? I got your email and I was like, 11 a.m. I was like, that's so early. And I was like, oh, no, she means California time. Yes, yes. Post time. So it's two o'clock here, middle of the day. I also have my caffeine, little Earl Grey tea. Ooh. Voice, you know. Yeah, Fridays are my day off from my day job. So... This is my day to like be a person and just like enjoy myself. I'm in the middle of making a little Liza Minnelli costume for tomorrow. So very fun, easy, casual Friday here for me. Oh, I love Lisa Minnelli. It sounds so much fun. I'm a little stressed out though, because as you know, sequin fabric is not cheap. Mm -hmm. So like when I'm working with spandex, it's always like, okay, it's cut, cut, cut. But like this fabric was like $25 a yard. So it's like, and I need like five yards of it for this costume. So it's like, if I mess up, I will not have enough fabric and I will have to go spend more money. So I'm yes. very careful, very slow dealing with it all to make sure it comes out right. The stakes are high. The pressure the are is high. up. Yes. So oh my God. Yeah. Drag is expensive. So you don't want to waste your money, mama. Exactly. Today's topic is your first performance. We're going to get into all the ins and out of, first of all, how was our first performance and maybe some tips on people that is going to perform for the first time. Yeah, for sure. So I actually have had a very interesting journey with drag because my very first time, well, actually my very, very, very first time in drag, I was like three years old. Um... And my mom, she collects like antique dolls and some of them are small. Some of them are like, you know, a couple inches tall, but like she had a couple that were like the size of like a three-year-old human being. So me and my cousin, I don't know how I'm, I was like maybe like three or four years old. I don't know how I managed this, but I somehow convinced him that we were going to put on the doll's clothes and the dolls also had like wigs. It was like full on drag. Um, and then we took like a bunch of like my art supplies, like paints and things and like did makeup and put on the little doll wig and a little doll hat and a little doll dress. So like that was like my actual, like literal first time in drag. At I was three years old. Yeah. Like, and, and my mom, she will probably listen to this podcast. She is like a huge supporter. She comes to all my shows whenever I'm in town. She, she was excited like she loved it um I'm very lucky for that but yeah I think I've like always been like playing with like gender in my mind and stuff and then when I was in college I was a theater major and I actually started out studying musical theater and my first year didn't get cast in any of the shows people listening who also major in musical theater will understand like a big part of it is trying to like put you into a type and like put you into a brand so like a lot of times like oh he's a leading man she's a leading lady because essentially they want to be able to sell you after you graduate so you can like get work but for me I think they had a really hard time figuring out like what character type to put me in because like you know I was loud and flamboyant and gay um and so they just weren't sure like where that fit in like the American musical theater so I'm like, my first year, I didn't do like any of the shows. And then my last semester of the first year, they auditioned the first show of the next year, which was this musical called The Three Penny Opera, which is like this really obscure, crazy musical from the 30s. It's like the socialist allegory. It takes place in like the Victorian era. It's crazy. So I auditioned for that, got a call back, but... Um, my given name, my boy name is a gender neutral name. <laughs> and so I was put on the callback list for the women's ensemble. Uh, Cause I think I just, I assume they got confused and they thought I was a woman. So I went to the stage management office and I was like, Hey, I was like, um, 
you know, I think I, I'm happy. For, I'm excited for the callback. Thank you for calling me back. But I think they put me on the wrong list. I should be on the men's ensemble list, not the female ensemble list. And they were like, oh, no, that's that's correct. They were like, uh, the director actually wants to have one of the men in drag in the ensemble. And I was the only guy called back for the female ensemble. So I was like, oh, I was like, oh, basically it's me. Like I got the part. I was like, like how do they know I am a homosexual? Literally, I mean, everyone knew. I, I've been out <laughs> since I was like 15 years old. So everybody knew, there was no surprise. But um, yeah, so I got the part. I, I couldn't even begin to explain the plot to you, but basically there's sort of a bunch of different choruses. There's like a bunch of beggars. There's a bunch of gangsters, like these like guys in a gang, you know, it was the thirties, whatever. And then there was also the female ensemble are prostitutes. So I was one of the prostitutes in the brothel and they gave me like this big blonde Marge Simpson wig. And I was sissing around in my little three inch heels. I would like wear them around campus, like break them in. So like, I was that, you know, that girl like sashaying around the school, like in the heels it was such a great experience. Like, I remember there were girls after the show who'd be like, yeah, you were my boyfriend's favorite part of the show. Um, so it was really fun. You know, I had like, you know, I'd gone to like Rocky Horror and drag before, but like, this is the first time I was like, I felt the full fantasy. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I like this. And then didn't do drag until after I graduated college and then was in a play in LA called Cloud Nine, which is another like weird Victorian play, oddly. But it's written that the female, the mom character in that show, uh, it's written that she is played by a man in drag. So I played that part. And then um, I moved to New York City with like no plans of doing drag. I actually wanted to start a theater company because long story short, I ended up not graduating with my BFA musical theater. I actually graduated with the degree in directing because the musical theater department ended up being so toxic. I didn't want to continue. So I was like, let me do my own little shows. So I became a director, long story short. But um, yeah, I came to New York to be a director, start a theater company. And then I honestly don't remember how it happened, but I ended up being in a friend's drag show. It was my first time doing drag since I'd moved to New York City. It was like at this little bar on the Upper West Side, like a piano bar, and they did like a musical theater night. And so like some of it was like just like regular musical theater performers who were not in drag. And then it was Ruby Powers, who was like my like sort of kind of drag mom, but not really. Um, but also one of my best friends to this very day. She was the host of the show and I performed. So it was around Christmas time. So I performed a song from Elf the Musical. And I was in this like super, honestly, really cute. I wish I still had it. This like glamorous beaded sequin gown that I bought at a thrift store for like $12. Um, this is back before inflation. Messed <laughs> up all the prices. I had like a hard front wig. This was before drag was like convenient and easy. Cause like nowadays, like someone could go on TikTok and watch your videos and basically full <laughs> drag queen. But like literally, this was like 20. 14 or 2015 so like back then like literally all we had was Manila Luzon's makeup tutorial on YouTube if you wanted a lace front you couldn't go on Amazon to buy it you had to like special order it it was hard back then yeah it was so different I was talking about this uh, the other day in the podcast that you know drag has become so expensive but at the right. same time it's so much more accessible like anybody can sell some drag costumes whether on Instagram Etsy Amazon mm -hmm. has some really draggy stuff Right. It's so true. And like, it's crazy too, how like for regular women, like big eyelashes are so in right now. So now it's so easy to find lashes and like all they have is 301s back then. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted 301s, you had to like go to like a costume store and like get them special. And like, I'm lucky we live in New York where like we have costume stores and like, you know, LA too, but like, I couldn't imagine doing drag in like Midwest. Iowa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, where do they get all that stuff? I want to know. I, had, um, I need a queen from Iowa on the podcast so they can tell me, like, back then, before drag was right. mainstream, what did you get all your geesh? Because right. it's, it's so a good question. True. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I looked super busted. And I feel like nowadays, like, you know, queens can, like, come out of the bat, like, looking perfect their first time in drag. And that was not my, that was not my fantasy. That was not my story. So I did the gig. I think from there, there was, like, a drag competition. I entered that. Did not win, but was like the fan favorite. 
you know? And that was like really where my like social media following started. And then I just started getting gigs and I truly haven't looked back since. It's been a long wild ride, but we're still here. I love it. No, I love it. It's really wild because your first time in drag wasn't like the traditional quote unquote first time in drag of a lot of people that oh I was at the bar or it was Halloween right. night or whatever right. but it kind of led you to being a drag queen it's so much fun yeah absolutely my first time was chaotic I was in community college because I wanted to save money right okay. and I grew up in a very small community called Imperial California which is right in the border uh, with Mexico. So it's very okay. small, very rural. I think population is about 10,000 people. So not a lot of gay population back then. I feel like now they are getting better. Mm. But I was in community college and we were putting together an event and we wanted a drag show for lunch. But we were like, well, where do we get a drag queen from here? Like, who's the drag right. queen? And we couldn't figure that out. So I was like, you know what? I've been watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I think I could do this. <laughs> right. So I was like, it's been on my bucket list. I'll do it. So I got my friend to do my makeup. I went to JCPenney because you're right. Drag wasn't as accessible, let alone in a small community. For sure. So yeah, I went to JCPenney to get some leggings and a bra. A shake and go Halloween wig. And like this, my friend gave me this tutu that I used like around here, like a boa. It was a oh, moment. Yes. <laughs> I need to recreate that. Wait, that's a fierce idea. It was. It was cute. I'll I'll try to find a picture and send it to you so you could see oh. the, the whole geesh. But yeah. here's the twist. The day comes, my friend gets there to college to get me ready. She's like, okay, where's the glue stick? And I'm like, oh, do we need a glue stick? <laughs> like, what is that for? And she's like, girl, that's for your eyebrows. How are we going to block them? So we start looking around the classroom and we found Elmer's liquid glue. And she's like, well, we'll make this work. And she used liquid glue on my eyebrows. It was oh wild. But that's just the beginning. That is the just the beginning. Yeah. Liquid glue work or no? It looked like oatmeal. <laughs> but it got the work done for the first time. That is so funny. Do you still use glue stick now or do you use Prosade? Oh, I use glue stick 100%. Prosade scares me. I was afraid of it for so long. For those who are listening who have no idea, Prosade is like a medical adhesive um, that's waterproof. I was afraid of it for so long, but I am also like a very sweaty person. So I have learned from like May to September, I will do two layers of glue stick and then a layer of prosade on top to like seal it in when it's like really hot outside and then like fall and winter i can just do glue stick and get away with it and be fine but, that's smart like a yeah. seasonal prosade but how do you remove it do you have to like because i've heard you have to buy a special remover yeah they say that and that is tr it does not come off with just water but if you're using an oil-based makeup remover any kind of oil will get it off so like olive oil coconut oil or any kind of like oil-based mm. makeup remover will get it out for sure yeah it's not that bad i'll give it a shot next summer <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure and they make like a small container of it you can buy on amazon so it's it's easy to try it out without having to fully commit to it Look at us, you know, sharing tips. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like very both our brand, I feel like. You know? Yes. It's like all about like spreading the knowledge, spreading the love, you know. I'm all about that, yeah. Oh, but yeah, okay. So we didn't have a glue stick, so we used liquid glue. Yeah. And then when I was full on ready, costume everything, then one of the club members comes into the classroom and she's like, oh, you know what? We forgot to request a speaker. Do you still want to perform? And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, yes, of course. Like I spent three hours getting right. ready. Like, let's do it. And I performed in a cafeteria for about 35 people with a cell phone okay. playing. Oh my. It was wild. At some point the audience started singing along the music, the, the right. lyrics, because nobody could hear it. It was a little embarrassing, right. but I was having fun. Did you have a drag name back then or were you just yourself? I was just Natasha. Natasha. You yeah. were? Yeah. Just Natasha. Not, not hundreds. Yeah, just Natasha. Not hundreds yet. Interesting. Where did the hundreds come from? Ooh, I love that story. So it's we were at a gay bar. This was recently, actually, like less than a year ago, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah, it just came out. When oh. I actually, when I started TikTok, I was still Natasha, Natasha B for my drag mother, Nomi B. And then I changed it to hundreds interesting yeah. i wonder if i've been following you long enough to have witnessed the change but maybe i didn't notice that's so interesting maybe. yeah yeah 
But no, we were at a gay bar and like my neighbors were there and we're smoking outside with this chick. And this chick happened to work at this watering hole of a bar, of a straight bar that we live nearby. Okay. And she's a bartender and my neighbor's like, oh yeah, I've been to that bar. Like when you girls were bartending, people throw money at you. And the girl goes, oh no, honey, they don't throw money. They throw hundreds. By the Uh end of the shift, there's hundreds of dollars on the floor. And we're like, bitch, you're lying. (laughs) That's not not the truth. That's not the truth. But like whenever the word hundreds would come up between me and my friends, we'd be like, oh, honey, that's hundreds, hundreds. And just talk to me. And I really like the sound of it. Right. I love that. I love that. I mean, I'm assuming your name comes from gin and tonic, but is that accurate? It does. It does. I guess my story is kind of similar where it just kind of stuck, but this is way before I ever like, actually did drag. My drink of choice used to be, top secret, used to be, it, not really anymore, uh, a gin and tonic. And one day I was just at a bar, as one does, and I was ordered a gin and tonic. And I think I, I think it was like maybe my second or third gin and tonic at that point. So, you know, I had a few and I was like, oh, gin and tonic, gin and tonic. I was like, if I ever did drag, like that would be my name. And then I did drag. And so it was, <laughs> um, which is funny because at the time I, ha- I had no intention of like doing drag, making it a career. I never imagined I would have like tens of thousands of like followers on social media so it never occurred to me to like Google like, oh, are there other drag queens named Gina Tonic? And of course there are. Um, and there's one, especially in, I think she's in Vancouver and she is a high school art teacher. Um, I think her handle is Miss Gina Tonic. And it's funny because a lot of people try to like pit us against each other, but it's like, I'm the Gina Tonic of America. She's the Gina Tonic of Canada. Like we all exist in peace, you know? Yes, there's a multiverse. Yeah, there's the multiverse, exactly, of Gina's. <laughs> so I'm the American one, and I feel like I'm holding it up pretty well for our country. You are. Oh, thank you. We're here in Long Beach, there's a Jenny tonic, but there's no Gina yeah. tonic. Right, and there was, I think, a Jenna tonic in Brooklyn for a while, and I think she stopped doing drag, which is sad, because, you know, whatever. Like, at the end of the day, like, here's how I look at it. When people type Gina tonic, into Google search, I come up first. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the other genotonic. If there was, like, somebody else who decided to be genotonic, like, it wouldn't be them. It would be me. (laughs) So, like, you know, that's just how I look at it. Like, I'm the one who's at the top of the Google search. Like, I'm 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 sorry. But I'm the top of the Google search, so... Like, I was here first. Yeah, not even. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not even, but, you know... At the end of the day, when people hear the name Genotonic, who do they think of? If it's you, great, then you're the one. Well, you're the one, Natasha. The one, Natasha, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people don't see the once, you see the, the Natasha, and I'm like, oh, no, just read again. The one. I know. I always joke, you know, when people like introduce a drag performer and they're like, the one and only, and I'm not the only. So I always, <laughs> joke, I always joke, I'm the one but not the only. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. I'm, I think I might use that next time I'm hosting. She's the one. She's not the only. <laughs> right, right. Well, let's go back to our first performances. Yeah. Is there anything that you would have done differently the first time you performed? I know that, you know, your f- first official time performing was in a theater. Right. But the first time that you actually were a part of a quote-unquote traditional drag show, is there something that you would have done differently or something that you would have told yourself, your old self, before stepping onto the stage? Uh, There's obviously a lot I would have done differently, especially with the look. Like, that's a whole other thing. But I also think I would have rehearsed my performance more because I think that the key to, like, really good drag performance, honestly, is just confidence. I think what makes a really good drag performer is just a lot of confidence and a lot of personality. And I feel like when I got up there, I was just so nervous I like just like did the song and didn't really put a lot of oomph into it. And so I think if I could go back, I would like learn the song better and like, you know, really work towards like the confidence of like being a strong woman. And it's funny because I think it's, you know, when you look at like a new drag performer against like someone who's really experienced, I think what you see in the more experienced person is just like confidence in being a woman, you know, and walking in the heels and having the kind of like, feminine walk versus kind of walking very square and manly I I mean it's true though right yeah yeah or even the performance style is like sometimes it's very like 
boxy. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Which is fine if you're going for it, like a yeah. sort of you know masculine performance. That's great. Like all drag is awesome. Like if that's going to be your thing, then do you know if you're going to be the Tarzan of drag, then be the Tarzan of drag. You know, like do it. Like no one's doing that except for like <laughs> Cameron Michaels. I love the Tarzan of drag. That is funny. That is funny. You know. Someone out there, I'm sure, is doing that. Yeah, if you are the Tharson of drag, please let Gina and I know because we want to yes. see. Yes, and I want I want to stock your um your muscles. <laughs> I think that if I could have done something differently for my first time performance, obviously rent a speaker, <laughs> an actual right. speaker. But no, I feel like I was so concerned of like my choreo and everything being so perfect. Be like, oh, by this time of the song, I, I need to do this. And by this time of the song, Ooh. I need to do that. But I really wasn't in the moment. So I wasn't enjoying it. Right, right. Yeah, no, I really feel that. I think I, I relate to that a lot. And it's hard because like, it's one thing to go on stage and perform a song. It's another thing to go on stage and perform a song and there's something covering your head and there's, there's your feet, you know, are like six inch higher off the ground than you're used to. And like, there's weird things on your fingers and wrists and like your, your legs are uncomfortable. And like, there's a it's kind of a sensory overload, but you're feeling a lot of things physically feeling them like on your body and it feels weird. And so like, it's easy, I think, to be focused on all the other stuff that you're, is going on in your body versus just being inside and giving the performance. You're right, because it's different. And that's what a lot of newer drag artists need to get. Because one thing is to perform in your living room, fully out of drag, comfortable, barefoot, you know. And something different is to be in full gish, like you said, with something tight on your head, with maybe a corset, with high heels in front of an audience. So the more that you get out there performing full drag, the better that you're going to get at it. And that was something I really learned after a while was, you know, you mentioned rehearsing in your house barefoot, but I remember after a while, I was like, God, whenever I rehearse this at home, I feel like it's so good. And then I do it on stage and it's not the same. And then I realized, oh, that's because when I'm on stage, I'm in high heels. I was like, I should start practicing my performances in heels at home. So I know how it feels in my body. So now I do. And especially if you know, I'm doing a performance that has like a costume reveal or if I'll have like something heavy on my head, like some kind of headpiece. I always make sure to practice like wearing at least part of the costume at home because once you're there and you have everything on, it's going to go differently. So you got to rehearse with the shoes on with like all the costume parts that will affect your performance. Rehearse all of that at home. before. Yes. I remember when I was coming back from the pandemic, like actually performing live again, I would do that. I would be like, okay, let me put my heels on and like this like big train that I want to perform in and let's, let's practice. Right. And I feel like it did pay off. I was like, okay, I feel less scared now <laughs> because yeah. it kind of felt like performing for the first time again after the pandemic. That is true. I know. And it's hard, especially when you haven't like even done makeup for a while. Like sometimes I feel like, oh, did I forget how to do this? Like it was crazy. What was your first show after the pandemic? So the first show after the pandemic was uh, at this bar in Long Beach where my drag mom had a drag show and it was still outdoors. I think it was like early 2021. So there was still outdoors and the floor was so uneven so uneven so you know because it's a it's a parking lot basically and then to get to where the audience is you had to like go down a ramp it was definitely a hazard yeah but it was it was fun honestly i i had so much fun a lot of my friends were there because they were excited to see me perform again so i was like okay this was exactly what i was waiting for right yeah what about you um so mine was also in a parking lot actually funny enough um, my local diner in my neighborhood, uh, they were very smart during the lockdown. They started doing like drive-in movies in their parking lot. So they bought like a big screen and a projector and they would show movies. And so this was back when, I don't know if people did this in LA because people don't really walk places in LA, but in New York, we would like go on walks like for like an hour to a day to just like get out of the house and like get some fresh air and like try to see the world again and so I was on my little quarantine walk around the neighborhood and I passed the diner and I was like oh my god those people are watching Rocky Horror Picture Show in the parking lot of this diner I was like that is so cool I wish I'd known this was happening and I was like I wonder if they would ever be interested in doing a drag show in the parking lot since you know they did Rocky Horror like okay they must 
be into like drag a little bit. Yeah. So I had like drafted an email to the diner, but never hit send. Right. I was like, I was like, I'm going to proofread it and I'll send it later. And I kid you not, literally, I checked my email later that day and they had emailed me asking me if I wanted to do a drag show there. And I was like, I literally was just about to email you guys and ask to do a show there. I was like, yes, let's do it. The universe. Um, Yeah, literally. So they actually like went the full mile. They bought a stage and like a speaker system and everything with like wireless mics. It was so fancy. So um, they set that all up in their parking lot. And the first show was like meant to be a one-time thing. I think like some magazine came and like took our pictures and what magazine was it? I think it was like the New Yorker or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's somewhere on, I'm sure you can find it online. Yeah. And it was, I remember just like, I had done all those like online shows. I'm sure you did too. And like the online shows were always so lame because you're just like <laughs> performing to a camera. Right. And like you were in your living room or whatever. And it was like, it just never felt the same. Terrible. They were terrible. Oh my gosh. Please don't bring him back. Especially (laughs) the ones on Zoom. Like it was like so awkward. It was really the only drag show happening in the area at the time. So we were fully sold out. I think people who like normally wouldn't even go to drag shows were there because it was like a live show happening with live performers and like we weren't even supposed to be doing live performances. Like the mayor like explicitly forbid it. It was like against the rules, even outdoors. Like he was like no entertainment. Um, but we did it anyways, because, you know, who cares about what the government says? Exactly. Um, Fuck so, the government. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wasn't going to be the one to say it on your podcast, but yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but it, I just remember like the feeling of the applause from the audience after not hearing it for like six months was just so magical and so beautiful. Um, and I, I think at this point, I will never take for granted, like, a live audience and especially like a sold out live audience like the feeling is just unparalleled truly it is it's so beautiful like it reminded me that this is why i love doing drag because i think that during the the quarantine i was uh, like slightly depressed and maybe because i stopped doing drag i didn't do like makeup i didn't sew anything i wasn't Ooh. doing nothing no drag zero zero yeah. so i think that when i had that first performance after the the pandemic i was like oh Yes, I remember now. This is this is it. This is what it is. Right. It's crazy because the person I was living with during the lockdown was also a drag performer. And like we were hustling. We were like doing like drag bingo on like Facebook Live. And like I was trying to do like drag brunch shows online and things like I learned how to use I like learned how to use Twitch and all that. I was I was doing a lot of drag. Uh, and basically because I was bored and had nothing else to do. So I was like, <laughs> let me just like do lots of looks and like make lots of these little silly little videos because I was bored. I had nothing else to do. I was like, this is something to do at least. Um, and I was, you know, making like a dollar or two per show. Like, the, you know, the tips were, but then sometimes though it was nice because, you know, if it was the kind of thing where you could send them a video of you performing and you didn't have to like actually like be doing it live. It was kind of nice because like then I'd be like sitting on the couch watching TV and like my Venmo would be going off. I'm like, oh, I'm getting Venmos. Why are people Venmo? I was like, oh, right. There's a show happening that I'm yeah. in. Like, I forgot about that. Um, so there were some, I guess, nice things about it. But yeah, it was it was a weird time. It was. A it was. Yeah. yeah. So and the first show after the pandemic, did you girls collect tips or no? Because over here we had to use a little net. It was right. like a stick with a net. Get a hamburger Mary's. I didn't perform at Hamburg and Mary's, but right. at the bar in, in Long Beach, they also required us to use that right. weird net. Right, because I remember seeing the girls in LA using the nets, and I thought it was so funny. So we were outside. Um, so what we did was we had one, like, giant tip bucket. It was, like, a laundry, like a big pink laundry hamper that I went and bought. Um, and we put that on the stage, and basically, if people wanted to tip us, they could walk up to the stage with their mask on. This is back before we knew that you couldn't spread COVID outside. You had to put the mask on and then uh, bring the dollar up. Well, yeah, we weren't like going out into the crowd like people do normally. It wasn't that. We like stayed on the stage. It was like why they had the stage, I think, was like to keep us away from the people. I had a love-hate relationship with the net because it was convenient because you don't have to like crumble all your tips while you're performing. But also I love taking money from the people. It just gives them such a close experience with the show. Yeah, it gives you like a 
intimacy with like the audience I feel like too like a closeness but I also feel like if I had an, a net I had to carry around I feel like I would accidentally smack people in the head like constantly I'm such a mess like I'm so I'm so clumsy I feel like it would not be good it takes some time to adjusting but luckily we don't need nets anymore yeah I know thank goodness and hopefully never again any tips for anyone that is going to perform for the first time I know that throughout our conversation we sprinkle yeah. a little here and there but anything that probably we haven't talked about yet if you're wanting to try drag for the first time and you just want to have fun, go have fun. But I think if you're wanting to start drag and you want to make it into a career, I think an important thing to think about is, you know, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands. Hundreds. I want to know. Yeah, <laughs> hundreds. I want to, I actually would love to know how many drag performers there are in America right now because it must be i mean it could be close to millions who knows but we need to get the u.s census involved we do i know (laughs) we do but i think my thing is if you're wanting to start a career as a drag performer i think you really need to decide like what is it that's going to make you special and what is going to like set you apart and it can't be a color. Like, I'm sorry. You can't just be like, I'm going to be the lavender queen. I'm going to be the yellow queen. Like, we've seen that before. Whatever. Don't do that. But like, you know, what is the thing that's going to make you special, different, unique? You know, can you belly dance? Can you breathe fire? Like, what is your thing? Like, find that and be that performer. Because there's so many people who are just doing drag just to do drag. And I think we need people who are doing drag to, like, be different and make a change. Yes, have a perspective coming from a point of view, right? You know? Right. Because I love, I love the performers that you know just like dance and twirl, and that's super entertaining to watch. I love it, and I'll give them all my money. But yeah. it's also like super refreshing and super entertaining to see somebody that is like, oh, okay, I never thought about that, and I love mm-hmm. how this person's brain is working, and that they are displaying it all in front of us. I love it. I think a great example of that that I've seen in person, this was a long time ago before she won RuPaul's Drag Race, but I remember seeing Sasha Velour in Brooklyn and it was like at a show that like, there was like maybe 10 people in the audience. I kid you not. Like, and then seeing her a year later and there was like hundreds of people. Again, hundreds. Hundreds. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she would do these numbers and she still does it on a much bigger scale, but it would be like, her with like projections and she'd be like interacting with the projections and like there was one number she did where it was like her in person on the stage and then projections of her as like being her own background dancers it was like part of the video projection just like things like that that made me go like wow like I've never seen anybody do anything like this like this is special this is different you know I think that's why she ended up winning drag race and like has had a massive career is because like she really has been herself and been unique and been different. And, you know, she wasn't trying to create a brand or create something that wasn't there. Like she was just being herself. No, yeah, absolutely. She's just herself. And I feel like coming or doing things that nobody else has done, it gets a little bit harder as the number of drag queens. Oh, of course. Right. Increasing. Right. It's fine. I mean, that's why our imagination is there for just to explode it and explore it and just have fun with it and try new things. What would your advice be? I would think it would be that, try new things. Because yeah. sometimes I think that when you are starting to explore drag, you think you know what your persona wants to be. You know, right. you're like, oh, I want to be sexy or I want to be campy. But sometimes it's fine to explore other things that may be outside of your comfort zone so you can find out what is it really that you're maybe good at or maybe explore some other things. Absolutely. That's also something that I did after the pandemic. I was like, let me try a couple, a little like musical theater. Mm-hmm. So I did like a wicked number sure. and then let me try a ballad. And I did a ballad. I was like, nope, I'm going to stick to my shtick, you know, but at least okay. I tried yeah. and I know that it's it's really not what I enjoy to do. Right. And that advice of trying something new every time you're in drag was actually how I found the makeup that I do. And it's also how I continue to perfect my face is like when I first started doing drag, I would try doing something different with my makeup every single time. Like, okay, this time I'm going to try doing a higher crease. This time I'm going to try doing bigger lips or a smaller lower lip or a higher cheek contour or lower you know and every time I try something a little different and you go okay that looks really good this time and I'll do 
you know, I'll do the contour from last Tuesday and the lips from this day. And, you know, you, as you start to try new things, you realize, oh, this works, that doesn't. And that is how I've kind of developed, I think, a very unique paint that not a lot of other artists have and a special unique look because so many queens look exactly the same and like <laughs> you know and yeah it, it's hard because we all learn from the same people and we're kind of following the same trends but yeah that was how I found my face was just through trying new things every single time I got into drag yeah it's like a mix and match of different things yeah exactly so we talked about our performances and we talked and gave it tips for other people for a while but now I want to learn about you you okay. said that, you know, when you performed at that bar for the first time, you, or you weren't really thinking of doing drag in the long term. When did that change? It was actually out of necessity because after that first drag competition that I mentioned, I was in a second one like a few months later. And the second one happened on like a Wednesday night, maybe, or Tuesday night. So it was in the middle of the work week and I was working a day job. I think they gave the performers like a bunch of drink tickets and I was, you know, young, I was like 24. So I would, you know, do my number and then go to the bar and use the drink tickets and, you know, get a little toasty. And then, you know, the show start, it was late. It's, I mean, late, I'm such a grandma. It started at like 10. So, you know, we wouldn't be out until like two and then I get home late and then I would have to wake up for work. But then the problem is at work, I'd be like a zombie because I was hungover from the show the previous night. And so eventually I got fired from that job and I was on unemployment, thank goodness. But it was like right before Christmas time. And this one drag performer in New York named Paige Turner, she was actually the host of the competition I was in and she was doing a Christmas show. And she was like, hey, you know, I would love you my show I was and it was the kind of situation where it was like a cabaret venue so like you had to pay for a ticket plus a two drink minimum plus food you know it was a kind of expensive thing to go see so I was like you know I'd love to come see your show but I really can't afford to like I just lost my job um I have like no money and she was like oh she's like well if you if you're in need of money she's like um I will book you for one of my shows this is like, I think one of my first paid gigs because I had done mostly competitions before. So it was like my first time like making a booking fee plus tips and like basically making like a living wage doing drag. Wow, I was like, I don't need to find a new day job. I was like, I can just do drag full time and just do drag gigs and make money. And so I did. And I think at the time, I think soon after that, I had my first weekly show, which was a drag brunch. From there, got like a second and a third weekly show. I was doing like three or four hosting, you know, shows a week and then guesting another like two or three shows a week because to live in New York City, I'm sure LA, it's the same way, but like living here, like to do drag as your only job, um, you really have to do like six to eight shows a week to like survive. So I did that. And then, you know, Instagram really took off when I was doing drag a lot. I was posting a lot. And I sort of didn't look back for a while. No, that's great. I mean, it's out of necessity, but now it's like a passion of yours. And I love that it kind of like merged together. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it all kind of worked out the way it was supposed to. Um, But I actually don't no longer do drag as my only job anymore because it got to a point where I honestly felt super lonely uh, because like when you're doing like five six seven eight shows a week at nighttime I didn't have a lot of time to like spend with my friends and I was missing out on like you know I would be like performing in a bar and like people would be celebrating their friend's birthday and like meanwhile I'd be missing my friend's birthday because I was at the bar hosting the gig um so I was like starting to miss out on a lot of stuff so I actually now only do like a couple shows a week when I have like a, a part-time day job that I do because it was like you know I really need to take care of myself too like yes that my drag persona is like so important and so good but like I really need to take care of who I am as a person and like have my own, own life you know because if you have your own life I think your show life will be much more interesting you'll have things to pull from you know like I'm you know also do like stand-up comedy so it's like what am I going to joke about drag like you know to joke about things happening in your life too so I think living a full life as a drag performer also really gives you a full experience and like you can really pull from interesting things to like use in your work as an artist. 
Thank you so much for sharing that because a lot of the performers talk about, yes, doing drag full time and it's like our dream or our fantasy. And nobody talks about the flip side of doing drag full time, which is exactly what you mentioned, right. missing out on important things, not spending as much time with your friends, your family, your significant other. And sure. all those things make who you are, not only as a drag persona, but as a person, as a human right. being. So if you are lacking in, in some of those areas, it's going to start reflecting on your mental health which is the number one thing absolutely. that you should be taking care of right absolutely absolutely so important that was the past but what is in the future for gina tonic what are some of your short-term goals and what would be your ultimate goal for drag well um it's funny you ask what's in the future for me and we talked about like my origins of drag but, you know, my origins in drag was doing theater. You know, recently I've been getting older and I've, you know, I've done the bar gigs. I've done all that. And I was like, okay, I was like, what did I come to New York to do? I came to New York to do theater. Like, I love drag. I love my drag career. But, like, this isn't what I came here to do. I really want to be an actor and, like, do theater, do film, do TV. And I've done, like, some background work. But do I really want to, like, chase out, like, these drag branches and things like that? No. Like, what do I want to do? So um, I've really been focused on kind of getting back into like film, TV, theater. And lo and behold, some friends of mine reached out uh, with an audition opportunity to be in a play. Um, So they're doing kind of like a queer, kind of silly, satirical, nonsensical take on Peter Pan called Peter Pan Sexual. Um, And I'm going to be playing the Tinkerbell character in that. So that'll happen around Christmas time in New York City. Um, also at this point, I think most people know by now I was supposed to be in the movie bros. Um, but my scene got cut. If you want the full story, go to my TikTok, Gina Tonic NYC, watch that video. I saw the video and yes, if you haven't seen it, please go check it out on Gina's TikTok. But was that your first time doing background work? So it wasn't, um, I've actually, I've actually done a lot of like film and TV that's never aired. Like I was in a web series and I had lines um, and they spent like all the money to like film it and everything, nowhere. There's like a trailer online somewhere on YouTube. The web series never made it. Um, There was also a documentary that I had filmed. You know, like in documentaries when like they show like the flashback to like, they'll be talking about in the 1920s, like blah, blah, blah. And they show the reenactment. So this documentary was about a drag performer in the 20s. And so I played the drag performer in the 20s. Um, That also never aired, never saw it. So those were like parts that I actually had lines in, never made the light of day. But I was also did background work for two episodes of Katie Keene, which was a spinoff of Riverdale. It was on whatever that channel is that shows like Pretty Little Liars and all those dumb teen dramas. But yeah, it had one season. It was not a hit. But that is on wherever you can stream Katie Keene. You actually can see me very clearly in the background on that show. And I did two episodes of that. Yeah. And then Bros was like going to be the next big thing. Um, And then that didn't happen. And the movie flopped anyway. So who cares? Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And if you want your TV show or movie to flop, just hire me because it'll be a flop. Oh my, mama, you need like a cleanse or something. (laughs) You need some some sage. It's true. Burn some sage for my casting. It's so true. (laughs) I did actually background work for the first time a couple of days ago. Oh, really? Yes. It was for for a movie. I think behind it, but I'm not sure in what capacity. Because, you know, on so many things right now. So many, like, studios and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, so it was by them, but I don't know exactly what, what production company or whatever. Um, but it was fun. They needed a bunch of drag queens that were filming like a party. And hopefully you'll be able to see me. Hopefully it'll air. I'm just like crossing my fingers. You have a super early call time. Oh, it was actually late because since it was like a, a party Whoa. scene. It was like four something in the afternoon, but we filmed for like 12 hours. It was okay. insane. I was dead by the end of that day. All of the TV film shoots I've done have been outdoor scenes. So like Katie Keene and Bros both, like, I think it was always like an early, like five, six, seven a.m. call times. Like I was up 
early getting that mug girl for both those gigs, um, it was a lot. Because, you know, they only have so many hours of daylight. So you really have to, like, basically be there as the sun is rising. And then they, like, set up, they shoot their little stuff. And then once the sun starts going down, like, they really can't do that much. So all the times I've done, like, those outdoor shoots, I've had to be up so early in full mug bros filmed in new jersey it's so, like we had to like get on a bus and go to new jersey like an hour away to film so like on top of that we had to like drive it was a lot but um when i got caught out of this movie uh you know i was really disappointed because like i was really hoping like it would like launch my career and like i'd go viral online for it but that didn't happen and a friend was like well why don't you just write your own movie or your own tv show and i was like you know what i should um, so I'm actually also in a script writing class right now. We're studying playwriting and screenwriting. But um, I think like a long-term goal is like, short-term and long-term. Like I just want to start doing more theater, more film, more TV. I really want to start writing stories. Like not necessarily like, like, you know, like those drag parodies, like a drag parody of like the Golden Girls or like that's all fun and great. Like, I want to start writing, like, you know, what would be the romantic comedy where the lead is a gay man who also does drag? And, like, what is that person's story? Ooh. You know, things like that. So, like, I'm, I'm starting to explore, you know, different, you know, like, what about a horror film with a drag character? You know, things like that, where it's not necessarily a punchline. Like, you know, this is a person, this is their job. They're a drag performer. Like, you know, they're just part of the world. Like, we are. Um, Because I feel like a lot of times, you know, drag characters in TV shows and movies are like a joke or a sight gag, you know. And so I think I want to start writing material where drag performers are not, you know, they're the lead character. They're, you know, the one the story centers around and it's about their life and their their things that they go through because we all, you know, have our lives that we live. Um, So I want to start telling those stories. So I think, you know, much more longer term like I would love to like have my own tv series or you know write some movies or whatever so be on the lookout if anyone listening especially uh Natasha's Los Angeles fans and followers um if you are a film producer hit me up I have tons of ideas to pitch to you um so yeah what about you oh my gosh involves so first I want to talk about your goals because it's so important. You're yeah. absolutely spot on. Like I was having this conversation with one of my best friends. Her name is Joe Lopez and she's my first guest. So if y'all okay. haven't heard it, please go to episode one. She's been on a couple of like TV shows acting in drag. Yes. And she says that the, the roles that she enjoys the most doing, whether in theater or in film or TV, is the roles that personify drag in more than one dimension, more than just right. this kakara kaka honey mama, exactly. and that you know portray their lives, their struggles, our struggles, and I think Absolutely. that is so important that these are represented out there because, yeah. like we were been talking, population of drag is growing in the U.S. Right, right, absolutely. But about my goals, honestly, for now, I just want to continue and grow my platforms, whether it's my podcast, my TikTok. I think that's the short term. Have a greater following, maybe. I know that it's not everything, but it does help, especially when you're trying to get visibility. Girl, I see you. You work so hard. Like, they announced, like, the drag race, like, I don't know, what was it? Canada versus the world or whatever. And, like, minutes later, it was, like, Natasha Hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, girl. Like, I do not have the energy to do that. But you are always, like, on it. The moment something happens, and, like, the Queen's Edge, she'll be, like, Natasha Hundreds would be, like, her report of the Queen's Edge. It's, like, breaking news, Natasha Hundreds. Like, this is happening. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know, so you are out there. You are making it happen, so. Thank you. I see these things, and I'm like, oh, shit, let me change real quick. I look like crap right now. Let me put a hat on and oh, and get some, a cup so of coffee. True, though. I mean, like, honestly, like, you've inspired me in a way because I used to think, like, okay, if I'm on my drag TikTok, I always have to be in drag making the video. And so, like, you know, sometimes it'd be, like, I'd want like, to get on, in, on some new trend, but it's like, okay, I can't get into drag until Friday. Today is Tuesday. And then by the time Friday came and I'm like trying to do the drag trend, it's like, it's over. Like no one cares about that trend. It happened three days ago. Like no one cares anymore. 
So like I've kind of learned like, okay, like just forget about it. Just like make the video today. Like don't wait until the next time you're in drag. Like just do it because trends and sounds and gigs and gags on the TikTok, they move fast. Yes. And you got to get in on it when it happens. No, I was like that too. I used to wait until like my day of getting in drag to film all those trends. But then I was like, I'm not just Natasha, you know, like we were talking. Oh my gosh, this was perfect. Like there was so many more of me. So honestly, I'll just do it like whenever. If I'm looking like this, I'm like, you know what? People look like this on the trends and they get like hundreds of millions of views and likes. And I'm like, what's the difference? (laughs) Gina, we are coming to the end of our conversation, but you've been so delightful. Is there anything you want to promote? Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, um, you can find me on social media. My handle is Genatonic NYC. That's Genatonic, like who I am, NYC, like where I am, because I'm always drunk and I always forget those two things. If you're in New York, come see Peter Pansexual in December. Um, the dates will be on my social media, so go find me there. All my other show dates are there too. Uh, you can also go to genatonicnyc.com and find out more about me there. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. And um, that's it. I'm like, oh, she's got a website. She's a first show mama. <laughs> I, know I know. I haven't. I need to update it. It's definitely, definitely needs a little update. Um, but that'll happen. You know, we'll get there. Oh, my goodness. Again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I've been such a big fan of yours. So I'm oh. so, I've been so excited to do this. So I... <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan too. I can name my top two favorite videos of your page. The number one is like when you are like, it's like a day in the life of you and you have like three different shows and you have to take the train and go to bingo. That was truly an insane day. I'm glad. Um, It's like one of those things like I'm grateful for the work, but also like, girl, I was tired. That was a long day. Yeah, so yeah <laughs> and the other one is much more simple i think it's just like a, a sound that you were doing and and the sound is like oh do you like my new dress and you're like ha it's actually a jumpsuit i got you yes. oh my gosh yes no i it's funny like i will see all those random sounds like that and like just save them for like a rainy day and then like i love pulling them out and it's i love especially like when a sound has nothing to do with drag but you can find <laughs> relate so yeah, that girl who was like with the, with the pants. Yeah, that was so funny. Thank you for listening to 100 Steps to Drag. If you like my podcast, please leave me a review. If you didn't like it, um, you can keep that for yourself. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. <laughs>